You're listening to the preaching ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, please visit redemption.bible. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming worship services. Let's get into God's Word, right? So turn in your Bibles today uh, to Galatians chapter 4. And if you uh, don't have a copy of God's Word, I think there's uh, some that can be distributed. Just raise your hand. Somebody will get one to you. And um, we want to uh, look at God's Word. I know that you guys are going through a series right now uh, uh, called Come and See Through the Gospel of John. And um, uh, when Pastor Blair asked me to come, uh, we talked about doing the next one in that series. And then he was like, no, why don't you do one of your other ones? And, and uh, so we're taking a little break from your series uh, in John to get into God's Word. Uh, we're going to look at Galatians chapter 4 uh, here in just a moment. Um, actually, normally we just preach through like one paragraph of Scripture at a time. Uh, today's going to be a little bit different. Uh, we are going to see a verse at the beginning, then we'll dive into Galatians 4, and then a couple verses at the end. Uh, you'll understand why uh, as it unfolds here in just a moment as well. Uh, I just also want to, I, I meant to say this earlier, I want to just encourage you as a church, by the way, uh, to love your pastor well. One of the things in my 20 years of ministry that I have learned is that when a church loves their senior pastor well, that is to their benefit. And uh, he can lead and love them back even better than normal. And uh, that's actually a scriptural concept somewhere in the Bible. So um, I'm not just saying anything out of the left field here, but uh, Pastor uh, Blair and, and Aaron are just wonderful folks. And I just encourage you to continue to, to love them well as they come back from sabbatical. And, and uh, pretty soon you'll have your normal guy back, right? But today, a, a, a guest voice here, Galatians chapter 4. Uh, I've titled this message, I'm a Child of God. Uh, today, I, I want to actually uh, show you something that God's been doing in my heart. I uh, became a Christian when I was six years old, and so I've had a 40-year walk with the Lord. And uh, about six or seven years ago, um, there was a moment that it wasn't a conversion moment, but was almost as powerful, where I had realized that for 40 years of my life, or for many years of my life, most of my life, I had approached God in a way that was very religious, um, but didn't truly understand what an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father actually was. Um, I had pieces of that, but um, to see the fullness of it was dramatically life-changing. And so um, this message is one that is a result of some of that, where I begin to realize what it truly means to be adopted into God's family and to be a child of His. And uh, I want you to think just a little bit about this concept of a parent-child relationship for a moment in these terms. Um, I don't know, uh, those of you who are parents, raise your hand if you're a parent, okay? You'll kind of experience this. I, I remember when I was married, I thought that uh, the love of my life 24 years ago, that that was going to be as good as love got. And, um, and then I had kids, and I realized there was a different and new kind of love uh, that can happen. Actually, uh, I am not, like, by nature, somebody who just naturally, easily cries about stuff. My rule is you're only allowed to cry when you watch Old Yeller. And, um, and then the, no other crying any other time outside of that. But then I had kids, and, and it was amazing. When the first child was born, they, they talk about kind of this pop moment that happens, and your heart just kind of explodes. And I remember being in tears as my first son was born. And, uh, and, and then you think, well, that, it doesn't get any better than that, but then you have a second child. 
And guess what? There's a bigger pop that happens. And, and the same thing, I was bawling in the delivery room with my wife and then the third child, the very same thing. And, and what happens so many times with, with parents is when they have these kids, I, at least in my own heart, I was crying these tears of happiness. Uh, there was just this overwhelming sense of I was, gonna, I was committing myself to love that little one, uh, to protect them, to cherish them, to enjoy them, to teach them, to cuddle with them. Um, it was just this incredible moment of just this new experience and this new kind of love that I didn't even know existed before I had kids. And, and so when we begin to think about the relationship of our Heavenly Father, uh, you need to begin to think about that very moment of me in the delivery room crying tears of happiness about my kids. And, and, and I would suggest to you that that is the emotion that God feels for his children as well. But that's not what we normally think about when we think about God. Even in good Christian churches, when we think about God, we oftentimes have this view of God that is distant, distant or stoic or that God isn't actually rejoicing over us in that particular way. We so many times have this experience in our relationship with the Father that doesn't include that kind of joyful, happy, expressive emotion. And today, I want, us to be able to, I want you to begin to be able to see in a new way that that is indeed how God thinks and feels about you when you are a child of the King, when you're a child of God. So many times we don't have that view of God of us because we have some very distorted views about what, who God is and how he thinks and feels. And so we need to go to God's word because in God's word, we're going to find a description of how he thinks about you that actually fits more my experience of having children than perhaps the distorted views I've had before. So I have it on the note sheet that's in front of you, just a a statement of information, and then we're going to try to color the information in here. Um, the big idea of the message is this. The key to living loved is understanding how I have been adopted into the family of God. So I see that you have a phrase that we use at our church as well. You are loved and sent to the glory of God. And so we, at, ch at church here, we want you to understand you are loved not just by us, even greater and more importantly, you are loved by your heavenly father and we need to see and understand what it means to be loved by the father in these ways. Otherwise, we get pretty messed up in life. If we don't have a proper orientation of God and, and how he relates to us, we live from a place that is actually very insecure. And today I want to help us from God's word to not doubt this truth, to see that you are incredibly secured in God's love, that to live loved is the place that you've been created to live from and that we need to, to move towards living from. Otherwise, we will live very broken lives. We have to deeply understand God's emotions and his affections and his feelings toward us because without it, we get overcome by distorted views of God and life and self that leads to some pretty broken things. So, I want to talk about these distorted views for a moment. Do you know how when you go to the carnival, you can go to that room that has all those mirrors that make you look funny? You ever been to one of those rooms, right? And you walk in front of that mirror and suddenly you have this huge head or this tiny body or this huge body and tiny head. I always feel like my mirror at home is one of those mirrors, like I'm too round in the middle than I should be, than what my mind thinks I should be, right? 
But, but what, we what we find is those distorted images that come back to us, a lot of times that's how we're viewing life as well. It's kind of like looking at one of those distorted mirrors. And, and I want you to think about what misshape misshapen views we have of ourselves. Where do they come from? Where does a distorted view of God and his relationship come from? And I think a lot of times it's because we live in the brokenness of this world and the brokenness of a parent-child relationship. We have to be a little bit honest for a second about our relationships with our parents and, and who we are as parents as well. How many people here had perfect parents? Raise your hand. I don't see anybody. That must have meant you were a perfect child, though, right? And you were perfect children. Can you raise your hand? No? No perfect parents or children in the room? Unless you're a teenager. Then you're a perfect parent, a child, right? Then you think you're a perfect child. But here's the thing. The reality is we have parents who have lost their temper towards us or have been absent or demanded perfection. We have parents who were easily irritated, who let us down, who broke promises, who lacked wisdom, or only offered love in a conditional format, not unconditional. And the reality is, as children in that home, we did not always respond perfectly as well. And because of that, I think that we have a very distorted view of what a parent-child relationship is, particularly our, our relationship with our Heavenly Father. We, we let all of our experiences drip in and change the shape of what we think it's supposed to look like. It's like looking in one of those mirrors, and the distorted view of that relationship with God messes with our life in some pretty significant ways. And so today, we're going to look at Galatians 4 to help us see the beauty of adoption, to trust that adoption, adopted facet, and then to embrace that reality and truth as well. And so let's look at God's word here this morning. If you're taking notes, three things this morning. Number one, I want you to see the beauty of adoption into God's family. And to do that, I'm actually going to use a verse from the Old Testament to kind of help us to see it, and then we're going to, we're going to begin to, to trust it in the Galatians 4 passage here in just a moment. And so in, it's interesting. In Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 12, we have a picture of what God's uh, adoption looks like. And, and it, it looks like this. It says in Deuteronomy 3, verse 12, The beloved of the Lord dwells in safety. The high God surrounds him all day long and dwells between his shoulders. There's an amazing picture here in Deuteronomy 36 of who God is and, and what he looks like. Notice it says that the high God surrounds him and, and, and that we dwell between his shoulders. It's kind of like when my, my little infant son was first born and he's that tiny little, what, seven, eight pound package of a, of a human being wrapped up in the blanket. And when I would hold him, where would I put him? I would put him between my shoulders, right? His head would rest on my chest and I, and I would hold this little baby right up against me. And that's the picture that the verse is trying to show us of how God, how he, how he cares for us, how he how he actually takes care of us. I want you to see that, that the beauty of adoption is, the, is that of a little infant between the shoulders of a very strong father. 
and, and that is a, an image of protection. It's an image of, of seeing the security of that. And so when we see the beauty of it, I want you to see that, first of all, the beauty of adoption is the security of a father holding a little baby between his shoulders. I, I think oftentimes about how we, we oftentimes don't necessarily think of God ex- holding us that way. And yet, um, there is a human experience that we have that helps us to see the security that comes from a father. The human experience is this. Like, I remember when my kids were little, when my nephews were little, I I wanted to be the fun uncle, right? And so when they're like two, three years old, I would take them and I would just gently toss them in the air and then catch them, right? And, and if mom was looking, I always threw him a little higher because that always freaked out mom a little bit, right? But, but think about that. Do you like the temporary sense of falling in life? Do you like it when you feel a little bit out of control and like, ah, oh, like things are falling apart, right? We don't like that. But why is it that a little kid seems to enjoy it, enjoy it so much that when you put them down, they, they take a couple steps back and then they run at you again, like, like it, I would start tossing my son, he would, just, he would just keep running at me. Why is it that a child would continue to ex- experience that temporary sense of falling, but that they trust their father? That they know their father isn't going to let them fall, isn't going to let them hit the ground, isn't going to allow them to be hurt. Like there is this security that comes from knowing that your father is going to catch you. And, and this is the security the verse is actually talking about. Actually, A little bit later, there's actually a a scene that completely illustrates this verse when Jesus at the Last Supper is sharing that last meal before his crucifixion. And it says that one of the disciples, the beloved, which we know is John, actually was, as they were reclining at the table, beginning to eat, that he rested against Jesus. Now think about that. Who wants their like teenage son, young adult son, that's probably how old John was at that moment, leaning against them as they're trying to eat a meal. But that's the scene. That was what was actually happening. John illustrating that Jesus was the protection. He was leaning between the soldiers, shoulders of Jesus at that very moment. That, that, that's God's heart for all of us, that we would feel the comfort to lean against him and experience the security and protection that he offers to us. That's the beauty of being part of God's family. Now, not just the security, but the beauty of adoption is secondly also confidence. It's a confidence that you kind of get as you grow up, you begin to kind of get socially beat out of you. I'll say it this way. Imagine for a second that you were invited to a dignitary, a high official's dinner, okay? Like a king of some sort. Here in Texas, maybe Governor Abbott, okay? And you get invited to one of the formal dinners. And so uh, you, you get all dressed up and ready and you, you come, to the, come to the building and, and for sure, because he's a high dignitary, right, you're going to have to walk through some security and, and, and you get your bags checked and you walk into the room and then we all know how to behave as adults, right? As adults, we know we, we, we can't just approach him right away. There's socially acceptable times. We know that if we ran up to him, like security would knock us flat before we even got there, right? But suddenly we're at this dinner and the side door opens up and and a child comes running in and wraps his arms around the the dignitary's legs and looks up and says, Dad, 
right? The, the child has a completely different confidence because of the relationship of a father and a child at that very moment. And, and when, we, when we think about our Heavenly Father, what I want you to see is not only is it a secure relationship, but it's a relationship where you can have that kind of confidence. You can have the confidence of a child running into a formal environment and wrapping his arms around the legs of his father. Do you have that kind of confidence with your Heavenly Father? The beauty of adoption is security and confidence, but there's a third thing I want you to see. It's also the beauty of adoption being enjoyment. Picture for a moment a father walking down a country lane with his daughter. It's a long driveway to their house. There's trees on either side. You know, kind of know that scene, right? And as the father is walking with his daughter, the daughter knows that the man she's walking beside is her father. But suddenly, he picks her up, and he grabs her in his arms, and he gives her a kiss, and he says, I love you. And, and what I want you to see here is the girl always knew that the man was her father. Nothing changed in that moment about her knowledge of the father, but oh, the difference of enjoyment when she's experiencing the love of the father expressed towards her at that very time. I want you to know that adoption in the family, I want you to see that adoption into the family of God can have that kind of enjoyment with your Heavenly Father. You can have the protection, you can have the confidence, you can have this kind of enjoyment with your Heavenly Father. But the reality is, even as I describe those things, you might think of it as a little bit far-fetched. That might not be your experience with your Heavenly Father. You, you might have a religious experience, you might have a formal experience, but do you have this kind of childlike, loving experience with your God? Many times we don't because we have some distorted views and some misshapen understanding about what a relationship with God is. And the fact of the matter is we often approach God living from a place where we think we are not fully loved in these ways. We approach him more like an orphan than a dearly loved child. And the reasons are many. It's possible that you have been taught about God, you've been taught about Jesus, but nobody's ever taught you the experience of adoption in this particular way. Nobody's ever taught you about the relationship that you can have with a Heavenly Father with this kind of intimacy. Maybe you, you've been taught it, but you've never really experienced it. You've kind of held God off at arm's length, and you haven't actually had that kind of relationship with Him. Maybe you've been hurt in life, and some of those hurts are barriers have caused you to live continually out of this state of brokenness and kind of this orphan status rather than being able to actually, actually come to say, I can have a relationship like this. Or perhaps you just simply have kind of a hardness to it and you think, I can, I can do it better than what God describes. I, I, I want God in my box in my way. And so there's kind of a hardness to that in it. Whatever it is, today I want you to see from God's Word that those things can be can be healed, and that a right and full picture of God's love for you can be found in His Word that describes something that's much more like the security and confidence and enjoyment that I just kind of painted the pictures of for you in this way. 
But the reality is that oftentimes we forget that we're loved in this way or we just don't know it. And because of that, it messes with our identity. It messes with who we think we are and how we relate to our Heavenly Father. And the result is that usually you're trying to work for acceptance from your Heavenly Father. You, you kind of have a, a belief and faith and trust in Him, but then you're always working to get His approval. And rather than having a received identity, you're living life from an achieved identity reality. You're constantly trying to achieve things to gain his favor. It seems too far and too much that God would love you without you actually working really hard to achieve that kind of love in your life. But what I want you to see here today is that that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible actually teaches that you have a received identity, that you've done nothing to deserve, you do no work to continue to maintain, and it doesn't actually change how the Father loves you because He's he's given you. There's a gift of identity and understanding of faith in Him that changes everything about how we live. It changes our experience if we truly understand what it is to live out of this kind of identity. And so here in the first part of the message, I want you to see the beauty of this adoption. I want you to know that you can rest between the shoulders of our Heavenly Father and that that, that's something that you don't have to do anything to achieve, but that's simply a gift that He gives you. And I want you to see that there may be some disorders in your thinking. There may be some misshapen understanding of how you have a relationship with God and to begin to identify those things. If you've heard what I've described so far about a relationship with God and you think there's no way that God actually loves me that way. I've done too many bad things. And I want you to know that you're wrong. And I want you to begin to correct that understanding as we look at God's word here today. I want you to begin to see that that's something that is problematic and needs to be fixed and that God's word actually directs us to a place where we can actually have that repaired and that we can actually begin to have the kind of relationship that honestly, deep down in our heart, we always want, but you just can't quite give yourself maybe enough hope to be able to even try it. But that in this, we can see that if we have our life anchored in the love of, of, of the Father, that that is the foundation out of what all the other parts of life flow out of if we can actually believe that this is actually true. And I thank God that he has shown that to us in his word in Galatians chapter 4. So let's look at Galatians chapter 4 here together. I'm just going to look at four different verses, starting in 4, verse 4, all the way down to verse 7 here this morning. And I want you to, again, if you're the note-taking kind, you can write this down. Uh, The first point was to see the beauty of adoption. Now, secondly, I want you to trust the offer of adoption. I want you to show you the offer of adoption found in these verses, and I'm I'm going to call you to trust it and believe it, even if it seems too far-fetched in the moment. We're going to do that as we look at these verses, because the Bible tells us about our adoption, and we need to trust it. Uh, Let's read verse 4 to 7 together, and then we're going to go back through and, and phrase by phrase come to an understanding of what's being said here. So Galatians 4, verse starting in verse 4, says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, 
born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I want to show you two kind of statements at the beginning in verse 4, and then we're going to actually look kind of logically through a progression that these verses are actually showing us about our adoption into the family of God. So I want to first of all show you this. Look at verse 4 for a second. It says, in the full, when the fullness of God had come, God did something. What did God do? Shout it out. He sent his son. Now, now, when the time had fully come, what did God do for us? Well, the fullness of time, a lot of times commentators, they, they talk about this fullness of time as the fact that Jesus came to earth when God had, set, had sovereignly set up the Roman Empire so that there was a common language and there were roads to reach all around the world for the message to spread. And, and listen, I think God actually did do that, but that's not what this verse is actually saying. That's kind of a human way of looking at this verse. I want you to have spiritual eyes on and see this. God is saying that when the fullness of time had come, when it was completely the right exact moment for God to act, he acted and sent his son. Not one second too soon, not one second too late. At the perfect time, God fully in control, he sent his son. And in sending his son and how it's going to relate to our adoption, like God is completely in control of that is what I want you to see. Secondly, notice the description of what God sent. You said he sent his what? His son. Born of a woman, it says, and he's under the law. These three things are important. So what kind of individual did he send? Because God had sent messengers before, but this is a different kind of messenger. In the past, he sent Moses, the great prophet of Israel, with a message of redemption for his people. And and then he sent many prophets after that to continue to affirm and reveal that message even further. But this is somebody different. He's not just a messenger. God actually sent his very own son. So whoever this is, this gift that God is sending at the fullness of time, notice that first of all, this son is divine. It's God's son. But notice, second of all, it says born of a woman. So this is a supernatural occurrence because he's fully God and fully human at the very same time. Not only that, even though he's special in that way, It says he's born under the law, meaning he would have to fulfill all the requirements of the law and live it perfectly, just like you and I have that demand on our life from God as well. The difference is, while we fall short of the glory of God, this individual, the Son of God, born of of Mary, Jesus Christ, we know that he was born under the law and he kept it perfectly. That's what the Bible teaches. But he was under that requirement, just like us. And then the verses go on to describe five things in progression that are immensely important for us to understand our identity in Jesus Christ. Let me just kind of work through them moment by moment with you here this morning. Look at the beginning of verse 5. We already know that at the perfect time, God sent Jesus. Why? Well, in verse 5, it says to redeem those who were under the law to redeem us. That's number one. The first thing God did for us through Jesus Christ was that he redeemed us. He bought us back out of our sin and our slavery to it. 
Now, this is an awesome fact that is all through the pages of, of the Bible. The fact is that we have sinned against the holy God and we are indebted to him. Think for a moment, how much debt are you in when you sin against the holy God? Well, let's just add some numerical value for a second. Let's just say all the sins up to this point in your life that you've committed are up to a million credits of debt against God. We oftentimes, when we think about being redeemed, we think, well, he pays for all of our debt. And so if our bank account was a million credits in debt, we are now up to zero, right? But, but the problem with that thinking is that if, if Jesus on the cross paid for all of our sins and brought our account up to zero, what happens if I sin again? <laughs> well, then we start to think that we're indebted to him over and over, which there is a sense of that that happens, but, but we forget something incredibly important about Jesus paying our debt. So if we're a million credits in debt to Jesus and he gives us all of his righteousness to pay for our sin, how, much, how many credits of righteousness does Jesus have? Again, all of them, right? He, if we're a million credits in debt, well, he has a million credits of righteousness. He doesn't just have a million credits of righteousness. He has a billion and a trillion and a gazillion and whatever word you want to make up afterwards, a Google of all of the credits. He has all the credits of righteousness. And so when Jesus says he redeems us, you just have to come to understanding. He's not just getting your bank balance back to zero. He's giving you all of his credits of righteousness as well. Romans tells us not just that we would keep on sinning, but that we would live to righteousness then. This is a motivating factor. The fact that I'm not going into debt because of all of Christ's righteousness on me causes me to want to live the way he's caused me to live and to look for him to do so. And so this is an amazing verse. It says that the son came that we would redeem those who were under the law, you and I, who couldn't keep the law perfectly. Jesus is depositing into our account his righteousness. And Jesus, as a human who obeyed the law of righteousness, dies for us, takes God's wrath upon himself, redeems us from the effects of bondage and sin. Is that not awesome? I should have heard a cheer there. (laughs) Okay, let's try it again. Jesus is a human who obeyed the law of righteousness, dies for us, takes the wrath of God on himself, redeems us from the effects of bondage and sin. (laughs) Amen. That was better. And that is the response, right? We even just thank God in worship not long ago. But notice, this is just the beginning. That's the beginning of verse 5. What does it continue to say in the second part of verse 5? It says that he redeemed those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption. Here it is, adoption as sons. This is powerful. The second thing that God does for us that comes out of being Redeem, the first thing that he does for us is that we get adopted into his family. Jesus didn't just pay the price and then kind of let you keep going and do whatever you wanted. He brings you into a family relationship with him. Now, I want you to see the logic of this because this is important. The fact of the matter is not everybody gets to be a part of the family of God. Everybody has the opportunity to be a part of the family of God, but... Not everybody is automatically a part of the family of God. 
only those who have been redeemed, who have been bought back, and, and those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ for that to actually happen. But when that occurs, we see then that sin is removed. We get to be in close relationship with God. Here's the logic. God can't have us as his sons and daughters unless we are perfect. So Jesus had to perform the work of propitiation, big word, before we could be brought into the family. This word propitiation means to turn away the wrath of God because of a gift of sacrifice that he gives that satisfies that wrath at full desire. That's what Jesus did when he redeemed us. But once he redeems us, we get, be, get to be a part of his family in that close relationship at that moment. Notice the verses don't stop there. It begins to define what the relationship begins to look like, and, and, and it shows us that we don't even do it in our own power because look at what happens third here in the next verse. In verse 6 at the beginning it says, And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. So listen, you don't just to be, get to be a part of the family of God only to fail in some way and get kicked out. Because when you get into the family of God, God then places the Spirit, of the whole, His Holy Spirit, inside of us. We, we get the Holy Spirit so that we can have the Spirit of Sonship in us. I love how one person said this. He said, the purpose of the Son, of the Son's mission was to give us the rights of adoption. And the purpose of the Spirit's mission is to give us the power of using those rights. Listen, you get the rights of being a part of the family, of being a child of God in His family, and then the Spirit is the one that lets you to live out that power, live out the rights of those power in your life. Notice, we're kind of piece by piece pulling it apart, but I'm trying to logically show you the progression here. Notice what happens next at the end of verse 6. Not only do you get the Spirit of God in your heart, it, then the Spirit is crying out, Abba, Father. Now, a little bit interesting. When the translators went to translate the word Abba, they realized it wasn't in the original language that the New Testament was written in. It wasn't Greek. It was actually Aramaic. And it was too hard to translate the word from Aramaic to Greek. And it's actually kind of hard for us even today because there's such a close, intimate, like a little child calling out to dad in the middle of the night that this close relationship that is expressed by the word Abba, that they just left it so that preachers like I have to do the work of explaining it to you. It's intended to be a speed bump to help you to see how close of a relationship that when the Holy Spirit is in you crying out, Abba, Father, the Holy Spirit is actually in you and it's, it's crying out, Daddy, this intimate moment between a child and a father. But notice again in the verse, who is crying out, Abba, Father? The Holy Spirit, right? So just hold that in your mind for a second. We're going to come back to it in a second. The point is, we get redeemed, we get adopted into the family, we get the Holy Spirit, who then is crying out for intimacy with our Heavenly Father. God here moves towards us in His Spirit and then causes the Spirit to turn us to prayerfully move closer to Him in relationship with Him in that way. And because we have this close relationship with him, there's one final thing that happens in verse 7. Notice this. So then you are no longer a slave, but a son. 
That's just repetition, reminding us of our status in an adopted family of God. And it says, and if a son, then an heir through God. Because we have this close, intimate relationship, because Jesus has redeemed us and we've been adopted and we have the Holy Spirit in us, the Spirit makes us sons and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Think about this. This is an amazing thing. Jesus is your big brother. Let's say it again. Jesus is your big brother. And the Father who loves Jesus loves you in the very same way. Is that not amazing? That the same way that the Heavenly Father loves Jesus, He loves you as a child of Him. I mean, I can think of so many reasons why I'm unlovable. I can think of so many reasons why I distorted, misshapen experiences and things that have happened in my life that I think there's no way God could love me in the same way He loves His perfect Son, Jesus Christ. And humanly speaking, we're right. But with eyes of faith, can you not see this? Can you see that when you are brought into the family of God, listen, it says it right here, you are heirs through God. You have the same rights and the same relationship that Jesus has to the Father. That's an astounding thing. That's an incredible thing. That's almost an unbelievable thing. But listen, by eyes of faith and with the Spirit right now, let's believe what God's Word is teaching us. You are not too far. You are never too far through Jesus Christ to have this kind of close, intimate relationship with the Heavenly Father. So let me just summarize for a second. Galatians 4, verses 4 to 7, such an important passage to understand. We see here there is a logical progression that happens where if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are redeemed. You are bought out of your sin, out of the slavery to sin, and then you are adopted into the family of God. The Holy Spirit then is inside of you, crying out for intimacy with your Father, and your Father loves you with the same kind of love that He has for His Son. Is that not amazing? This is your standing and your relationship in the family of God. This is what it means to live loved, to embrace and to understand these things. But here's the thing. I know there's two kinds of people in this room that are hearing this message. The first kind of person is one who has never believed in Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're here today and you're trying to sort out what your belief is, what your religion is, if you're here and you're trying to explore the things of Christianity and what does the Bible say, and there's so many other competing philosophies and religions in this world, I just want you to hear today, this is the great day to be in church. God has brought you here on purpose today for this message so that you could hear what it is to have a relationship with the God of the universe, with your Creator. This is the picture. If you've ever hoped to have this kind of acceptance and love and identity, you can have it by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. The verses have told us, if you believe in Him, He brings you into His family and gives you His Spirit and loves you the same way He loves His divine Son, Jesus Christ. And then there's another kind of person here who has believed the truth of that, but who has yet to fully experience this. You know what it means to follow Jesus, but your relationship with your father has been a little bit messed up. You've allowed the distortions of sin, whether it's yours or others, the, the, the misshapen ways of thinking about 
family relationships that have occurred in the world, whatever it is, you're here and it's just so hard to believe that you could have this kind of relationship. Oh, your heart hopes and wants for this on the deep down parts of it. But you just can't imagine that even though you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, that he would love you this particular way. For both categories, for both camps of people, today the answer to the struggles that you might be happening is to believe God's word is to put your trust, this is, this is why I say, trust in the offer of adoption. Put your trust that this is true and that, listen, just take the next step, one little baby step ahead of trusting the adoption that is offered to you. Put your trust in Jesus and begin to seek to allow the Spirit. Listen, if you put your trust in Jesus, the Spirit of God is in you. Let Him start crying, Abba, Father, in your heart and responding and then respond to that call of intimacy the Spirit is doing in you. Oh, you're going to have to fight. Because the reality is, we were orphaned. You know what an orphan is? An orphan is somebody who was supposed to have a loving, safe, enjoyable parental relationship, and for some reason that got broken. Listen, it's the most important human relationships that we have in life. And when it's broken, somebody who begins to have an orphan mentality is one who they can't trust anybody because of how that significant relationship being broken in the past. Somebody who is an orphan can't fully trust and they're always skeptical and they're always on edge. And it's too hard to believe that this could possibly be true because I might get hurt again. And that might be how you're responding even to this message today. You can't celebrate the fact that this is the way it's supposed to be. But I want you to know, there is an invitation right here in this message that Jesus, listen, at the right time, which is today, June 23rd, 2023, is inviting you to be a part of his family as you begin to even explore what it looks like to be a child of the king. Would you believe and trust in Jesus in new way, in a new way today? whether it's coming into his family for the first time or beginning to live as a child fully with the way it's supposed to be, would you begin to trust him in that? Which leads me to the third thing I want to say to you today. And it's really about learning to live out this truth. So many times we hear God's word and it's just head knowledge and it doesn't really seep into the fullness of our hearts and then how we live. And I just so want to encourage you to embrace, this is the third point, embrace the intimacy of adoption. I don't want you just to hear the message today and go, those were some nice truths that were said, but it doesn't really affect me. I want you to, I wanted to cause you to begin to embrace. I want you to reach your arms out and put your arms around this truth and trust it and put your arms around around the Lord, your Father, and say, I love you, God. That's, that's what we're really trying to get to here in this message. I want you to embrace the intimacy of being a part of God's family. Notice I use this word intimacy again. Intimacy is closeness. It's the exclusive relationship. It's the belonging and the, and the, the deep understanding and the nearness that comes in in that kind of intimate type of relationship. That's what I want you to have with the Father who's provided all of this for you. And so I want you to see just a couple of verses to help maybe you embrace this more fully. Notice that the Spirit's job is to bring intimacy. 
The Holy Spirit is the one that's going to create this intimacy between us and the Father. Listen, your relationship with God shouldn't be distant and formal and, and far away. It should be a Abba, Father, Papa type of relationship. So to help you with that, I want you to see a couple of scriptures that define this for us. First of all, I want you again to be reinforced in your position in the family of God from John chapter 20, verse 17. Mary is at the tomb and Jesus has just been resurrected that day. And she's at the tomb and she's come expecting to find a body and instead the stone is rolled away and she's all confused and disoriented and she begins to talk to a man that she thinks is the gardener, but it's actually Jesus, right? And then Jesus actually says her name, Mary. And that moment of intimacy, she recognizes Jesus' voice. And then Jesus tells her something really significant in John chapter 20, verse 17. He says this, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. There's something incredibly significant about what Jesus says here. He says, go to my brothers. He's never called the disciples brothers before this moment. Go look at the scriptures. He's called them apostles, he's called them disciples, he's called them followers, he's trained them. But it wasn't until after the resurrection, notice following Galatians 4, after he redeemed them on the cross and bought them out of their sin and slavery, that then he shows the adoption by calling, the first thing he calls them then is brothers. And he says, I'm going to my God and your God. We have the same father now, and I'm your big brother, and we're all part of the family of God. That's your position in Jesus Christ. Embrace that. The second thing I want you to embrace is what it says in Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 verse 11, it says, In him we have obtained an inheritance. goes on later in the verses to talk about the inheritance because the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of the inheritance that we have. This concept of inheritance is incredibly powerful. Has anybody ever heard of the Mars family before? They're only like the third richest family in America. If you've ever had a Mars bar, you know this family. If you've ever had M&M's, anybody like M&M's? Yeah, okay. The best they make, anybody had Snickers bars? Okay, yeah. Okay, then you know who the Mars family is. And apparently they make a lot of pet food as well, so all your cats and dogs know them as well, okay? But it's interesting. The Mars family right now are incredibly wealthy, well over like a billion dollars, whatever, the whole family, many, many billions probably. They're really not flaunting it in any way. That's why not a lot of people have heard about them. But the current generation of Mars family who's so wealthy and rich, they aren't the ones who made the money. It was the grandfather who started the business. And the reason why they're so wealthy is because they are the ones who have the inheritance. It's been passed down to them. Now, Imagine for a second that there's a knock at your front door. You go to the door and you open it up, and there standing in front on your front porch is a cadre of lawyers. I mean, there's like eight of them around there, right? They're all in their blue suits and really formal looking, and they, they, they come to your door and they say, Mr. Newell, that's my last name, we have some news for you. All right, I'm thinking I'm getting charged for something. Instead, they say, you are part of the Mars family 
there was a mistake at birth and babies were switched and you are actually part of the Mars generation. You're like, what? I don't even know the Mars family. Like, God, all these people raised me over here. And they're like, no, that's not actually your family. You're part of the Mars family. I'm like, oh, what does that mean? Well, they start handing me passwords to bank accounts. And then they give me a key to a mansion. And then they give me keys to the Bentley they drove up next to it. And they say, this is all yours. You've inherited all of this. I mean, can you imagine that for a second? Would there be anything better than that? Could there be anything better than that in this world? Well, there is. It says it right here. In him we haven't obtained an inheritance. Better than any worldly wealth, better than the wealth of the Mars family, you have an inheritance from your heavenly father, from the God of the universe, from the, your creator, you have an inheritance. It's called life and relationship with him for an eternity. How do you know you have that? Well, Luke chapter 10 tells us, Jesus is teaching about prayer. And at the end of the teaching on prayer in Luke chapter 10, verse 13, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 11, verse 13, he says, talking about parents giving gifts to kids, it says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, so it's not just talking about being evil, he's just saying those of us who are sinful parents, remember, no perfect parents in the room, I'm not either, but guess what? Part of the reason my daughter is sitting on the front row is because me, as a human evil parent, likes to give good gifts to my daughter, to my kids, right? So she wanted to go to the Magnolia Silos. Guess what we did on yesterday? We sweated a river up at Magnolia Silos walking around because I like to give good gifts to my kids. Do you like to give good gifts to your kids? We all do. That's a common thing, right? And this verse is saying, even if you like to give good gifts to your kids, even if you like to go to Magnolia Silos, even though you don't like anything about Magnolia, <laughs> you do it because you love your kids. How much more? Notice the verse goes on then to say, how much more will the Heavenly Father, what do you expect it to say? Give you good gifts, right? But he defines what the good gift. Notice, what does the verse say? How much more will the Heavenly Father give you the good gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is the incredible nature of a father-child relationship with the Heavenly Father. He's going to give you the best gift. He's going to give you good gifts. He's going to give you a Holy Spirit gift so that you will pursue righteousness and an intimate relationship with the Father, which will secure you, which will give you confidence and enjoyment, all the things we saw at the beginning of the message. And then finally, I want you to see Romans 8. One last verse about this adoption thing. Romans 8, verses 14 to 17 says this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God as sons of... Uh, for, I'm sorry, start over. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, there it is, of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is an amazing verse, and there's so many things we could say, but I want to point out just one thing, one thing at the end of verse 15. Notice it says that if we have the spirit of adoption as sons, we cry, Abba, Father. Notice the difference between Galatians 4 and Romans 8. In Galatians 4, 
when we have the adoption of the Spirit, who's crying Abba Father in Galatians 4? The Spirit. But in Romans 8, who's crying Abba Father? We are. Do you see it? Listen, when you get the Holy Spirit in you, He begins to teach you to cry out to God. But listen, you begin to learn to say the words, Abba, Father, yourself. You start to learn what it is to have an intimate relationship with the Father. You begin to understand and desire and pursue. And listen, because the Holy Spirit's in you, He can stop saying it because you start saying it. Abba, Father. Be my Abba, Father. You begin to understand what it means to be adopted into the family of God, and you start to cry out to Him the way that the Spirit has taught you to do so. That's why I say I want you to learn not just to see it in your mind, begin to trust it, but I want you to embrace this fully. I want you to rest in your position in God's family, between His shoulders, we said at the very beginning. And to do that, you're going to have to remind yourself of your position. You're going to have to reject some of the distortions and the misshapen things that have caused you to not believe this thing to be true. You're going to have to repent of living unloved and begin to believe fully what God's Word has said in Galatians 4 and the many other passages I've showed you here today, that you are a dearly loved child of the King. To do that, the key will be to live, to living loved is to understand how you've been adopted into God's family. And to help you understand that, let me tell you a story as I close. Mary Ann Bird grew up knowing that she was different, and she hated it. She was born with a cleft palate. And when she started to go to school, her classmates, who were constantly teasing, made it very clear to her about how she must have looked to others. A little girl with a misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and a hollow, somewhat garbled speech. She couldn't even blow up a balloon without holding her nose. And when she bent to drink from the fountain, the water spilled out of her nose. When her schoolmates asked her, what happened to your lip? she'd tell them that she'd fallen as a baby and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow, it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. By the age of seven, she was convinced that no one outside of her family could ever love her or even like her. And then she entered the second grade and Mrs. Leonard's class. She never knew what her first name was, just Mrs. Leonard. She was a round and pretty and fragrant, fragrant lady with chubby arms and shining brown hair and warm dark eyes that smiled even on the rare occasions when her mouth didn't. Everyone liked Mrs. Leonard. But no one came to love her more than Mary Ann did, and for a special reason. The time came for the annual hearing test given at school. Mary Ann was barely able to hear anything out of one ear and was not about to reveal yet another problem that would single her out as different. And so she cheated. She had learned to watch the other children and raise her hand when they did during the group, group testing. However, the whisper test required a different kind of deception. Each child would go to the door of the classroom, turn sideways, close one ear with a finger, and then the teacher would whisper something from her desk that the child would have to repeat. The same thing was done on the other ear. And Marianne discovered in kindergarten that nobody checked to see how tightly you held your ear, and so she merely pretended to block her ears. As usual, she was last. 
But all through the testing, she wondered what Mrs. Leonard might say to her. She knew from previous years that she whispered things like, the sky is blue. Or, do you have new shoes? Marianne's turn came up. She turned her bad ear to plugging up the other one solidly with her finger and then gently backed her finger out of her ear enough to be able to hear. She waited and then she heard the words that God had surely put into Mrs. Leonard's mouth, seven words that changed her life forever. Mrs. Leonard, the pretty, fragrant teacher Marianne adored, said softly, I wish you were my little girl. You and I are not born with cleft palates. We are born with cleft hearts. We are broken and misshapen. We have hearts that are not up to the task. And we lead lives that are broken and misshapen and not up to the task. But that doesn't change God's heart towards us. Put your trust in Jesus today, no matter how deficient your performance is or has been. He says to you, I'm so glad you're mine. The true and living God has not only forgiven you and not only justified you, most importantly and wonderfully of all, He has adopted you. He has brought you close, as close as can be, all the way into His family. You are forgiven and justified, but more than anything else, you are a child, the son or daughter of the living God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for it teaches us your true thinking and feeling about us. Lord, protect us, rescue us from all the messages that we've heard that you are any different than what your word has revealed to us this morning. Lord, would you help those misshapen, those distorted things? Lord, help us to repent of believing those things, those lies, and instead believe the truth of your word. You have redeemed us, bought us out of bondage, given us all your righteousness, and brought us into your family, filling us with your spirit who teaches us how to cry out in intimacy to the Father and then gives us the position of, a heir, of an heir with you. God, would you help us to see the fullness of what it means to be a child of God and to recognize that we don't achieve that in any effort of our own. It is simply a gift, a gift of grace. We receive this identity from you today. Help us, Lord, even as we sing and proclaim this truth that we are your children. Lord, help us to live loved. It's in Christ's name I pray.